Welcome to the 15th episode of the Talent Intelligence Collective podcast. Before I intro this one, I wanted to let you know about the upcoming Talent Intelligence Awards. To celebrate the best, most insightful, most innovative talent intelligence work, the Talent Intelligence Collective is excited to launch the 2021 Talent Intelligence Awards in partnership with Stratagens. If you want to showcase your work, check out the link in the description of this podcast or the post it's been shared in. The entry form isn't too laborious, but the deadline for entries is the 15th of November, so you'll need to get a move on. Anyway, back to the episode. In this one, me, Alan Walker, Alison Edridge and Toby Coulshaw co-hosted an episode where we spoke to Randy Bailey of Walmart. As a talent intelligence leader in the world's largest retailer, the length and breadth of the work that Randy gets involved in is incredible. We spoke about that and about Randy's journey from sourcing Grandmaster, and what that is, to talent intelligence leader. This is a different and very inspiring episode. Get listening, get learning, and have fun. Before we get on with the main event, I just wanted to remind you that this podcast is proudly sponsored by our friends at Stratagens. And here's a very well-spoken chat to tell you a little bit more about them. Stratagens gives HR leaders the data they need to transform businesses with the speed and ease required in today's world. If you're ready to make decisions that aren't lengthy, costly, one-dimensional or based on gut feeling, visit stratagens.com. That's S-T-R-A-T-I-G-E-N-S dot com to register for a Wednesday demo drop-in and find out more. I'm Alan Walker and welcome to episode 15 of the Talent Intelligence Collective podcast. Um, I'm joined by my co-hosts Alison Ettridge of Talent Intuition and Toby Coulshaw of Amazon. Say hello guys. Hello. Hello. Well, unfortunately no Nick Brooks today. He's settling into a new role. More on that on the next podcast when he will be back with us. And of course, this show, as ever, is nothing without our guests. And this time we have a long-time fan of the show with us, the wonderful Randy Bailey. Welcome to the podcast, Randy. Why don't you quickly introduce yourself? Hello, I'm, uh, I don't even know what my title is nowadays, but talent intelligence leader, I guess, or or consultant for Walmart. Um, I've been with Walmart going on six years um, and within a variety of roles. My background is in sourcing. Um, my claim to fame is I'm a SourceCon Grandmaster. I won the Grandmaster Challenge in 2017, where I beat the AI to, to uh, yeah, win the win the title. Um, so I, I certainly certainly take a top of funnel sourcing, uh, uh, look through TI through a sourcing lens um, approach to things. Um, yeah, that's me in a nutshell. Excellent. I think it's fair to say you're probably our first ever Grandmaster. I think that's accurate. I don't recall anyone else telling us that they were a grandmaster of anything. So you know, we are unique, Randy. And it's great to have you on the show. I think uh, me and my co-hosts and, uh, and our listeners, of course, are going to be really looking forward to hearing more about you and your work at Walmart. Um, for those newbies listening, um, in just a minute, Toby is going to lead us through the news, um, tell, us some, tell us about some of the thought-inducing topics that are happening around the world of talent intelligence. And we'll all get involved in a discussion around those. And then Alison, on her own today, because we're without Nick, will fire questions at Randy about his career and views on all things TI uh, and anything else um, they and we think we might want to hear about from Randy. So um, let's do this thing. Toby, what's happening in the world? So news-wise, there's been a fair chunk but it's all kind of something something similar if that makes sense so uh we've been facing a, everywhere pretty much a widening labor market gap uh british chamber of commerce has been commenting on the data from the ons so office of national statistics um and the bbc director of policy james bcc sorry director of policy james martin um Commenting about the, the fact that the, the uh, overall economy is climbing back to pre-pandemic levels, but the, the real highlight was that there remain very real difficulties under the overall numbers. And there's a big skills gap that we're, we're seeing, obviously rising costs and the, the pressures around costs are, are increasingly uh, difficult at the moment. Uh, big old tax burdens coming through, really highlighting the fact that the government really needs to act to, to improve business conditions. And I think that's something that's, that's already an issue, but also it, the data didn't factor in the fact that uh, furlough is ending. You know, furlough is a, a big government scheme to, to obviously help support business and, and support workers, etc. That ended in September. And uh, 
that hasn't really kicked her in the data yet from the ONS. So I think that uh, skills mismatch is going to really change once again, once we see that, that kind of the impact of furlough, whether we're going to see unemployment kick through, whether we're going to see those people going back into employment um, or, or continued employment. Um, I think that's going to be an interesting one to watch. But yeah, we're definitely seeing in the, across the UK at the moment uh, some real issues on that labour market side of things and the skills gap that's presenting. Was there any um, was there any ideas around how they want the government to act? Was it all around tax, or was it anything else? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> don't know. We could come up with some probably, ideas here. Probably lots, probably lots of ideas. Probably lots of ideas. Um, I, yeah, I don't remember. I, I... <laughs> but well, fair enough. Fair yeah, enough. I guess. Uh, I guess, Randy, not. you're you're hearing similar things. Your side of the uh, ocean, are you? Absolutely. Um, but it's, yeah, it, it's, I always struggle with the, the macro versus micro economics of this kind of thing and really understanding what's going on and how that impacts what we're doing. It, it's, yeah, I, I guess I'm just not close enough to that level at that, uh, the higher end. Uh, yeah, the macro picture for, for this. But I think that's okay. that's a great point there, because I think that drill through is probably something that a lot of TI teams struggle with. How, how do we relay that that kind of macro view to what's going on on the ground and i think i think that that drill through is is one of the hardest things to get right um and and it's whether that's on, on kind of data points or whether it's through to the actual reports and how they're produced i think it's it's a really difficult thing to get right i i think that this this one's quite interesting so um uh, they talk about improving the business environment. So that's, you know, for the most part, taking away some of the tax burdens, particularly on some of the small and growing businesses. Um, but fundamentally, this is about the skills gap, um, you know, and this kind of decline in supply of labour against certain um, certain skills. So as ever, they're talking about expanding the shortage occupation list. And that's where I think it ties into your comment, Toby, is that you know, if, if the UK is having to expand its shortage occupation list, that's saying that we need to bring in other workers from other countries in order to help us close the skills gap, which means we're back to talent intelligence, which means we're back to having to look through the macro lens. Yeah, so I, I think that's where the, the link is and where it becomes quite interesting. Um, you know, there are very real cost pressures facing business. And then I think the second thing that's interesting about this, and I, th I think this is true of organisations anywhere, is uh, you know, we all understand that there's going to be a skills gap and we all understand that our kids are going to be doing different jobs um, and jobs that don't exist in 10 years time but none of us have learned how to peer around the corner um, and see what that is and and I also think that there's something about um, you know being able to you know organizations don't understand strategic workforce planning at its best like beyond three years so if we're talking about a skills gap and new skills that are kind of 10 years around the corner and then we're talking about what do your, does your organisation need and they can't see past three years, I think it's the role of talent intelligence to try and fill that gap. Um, but but it's, a pretty, yeah, it's a pretty big gap to try and fill. Is it filling the gap or is it just helping a conversation? Because that's something that I've been finding just in our reports. It's We're, we're often not solving the problem, but we're helping uh, uh, the organisation with the conversation to help get to the right answer. We may not have it yet. We don't have it yet. But it's yeah, that conversation. I, I agree. I, yeah. I think we set the feasibility and we highlight potential risks that we're exposed to. But um, I, I don't think we're necessarily positioned right to, to solve all the problems. And I, think the I don't think we have the data. No. Well, and, and the thing is that the, a lot of the, particularly the skills gap long-term thinking piece, I think a lot of it ties into um, the demand side. We, none of us are going to be able to forecast out what that looks like. But the, the difficulty is the supply side, it isn't producing the talent that, that's flexible and nimble enough to move with the whole culture of continuous learning. The education system, and I know we've spoken about education system in the past on this podcast, um, in most countries isn't geared around a, a culture of continuous learning. Um, and, and I think that's probably the bigger piece that I'd like to see the, the BCC kind of pressurizing the government on is how, how do we produce uh, an output essentially from the education system that is going to be more geared around continuous learning rather than the rote learning environment we're in at the moment. Now, I think that's Sorry, I think that's the key. No, just real quick. I think that's the key is the continuous learning. But at the same time, to your your earlier point, is their crystal ball any better than anybody else's? Like that's what it boils down to. Who who we don't know what the future is yet, and I don't know if we're going to be able to. 
Yeah, I think that's true. And I, and I think there's a more tactical use as well, which is, you know, it's it's the job of talent intelligence. This is where you can use data, right? You can say, okay, these the, the people that you need, there's a skills gap for, but these are the people that have got skills that are adjacent to them. And these are the industries that they're in. That we can do. That we can you know be be doing right now, and yeah, and that comes into Randy's world, right? Which is you know okay, what happens if we source in different places? What happens if we think through a talent acquisition lens in different places? And that's educating the line managers around some of the transferable skills that they should be looking at. Yeah, I completely agree. Completely agree. Yeah, so cool. what else? What else is happening, Toby? Well, one of the other bits that um, was quite interesting was. It ties into what Alison was saying earlier about the if the BTC is saying to the government, look, we need to um, increase the, the the list of people that can, we can have coming in and make it easier for people to come in from Europe um, with, with the skills we need, etc. The, the sad state of affairs is Europe is also um, facing the, a tough environment. So that the labour market slack in Europe fell for the second quarter um, Eurostat we're reporting, and, and which is, that's basically the, the percentage of people in the external labor force aged 20 to 64 um, that uh, at the moment it's about 13.8% and that's the, the people that have an, an unmet need for employment which is there's a whole definition around unmet need and it's around the desire to be employed versus um, deliberately not wanting to be employed etc uh, but that's falling uh, and at the same time the employment rate is uh, going from uh, around 72.8% um, increasing a little bit by 0.7 percentage points compared to the first quarter. So Europe itself is is facing a period where you're having less people essentially that are in that unmet need for employment. So you get less people that are actually looking for work overall, and you get an increase in the total employment rate. So e even if the UK do do some of these pieces that the uh, BCC is suggesting, it, it's not a silver bullet necessarily. It's not going to say that we're suddenly going to see an influx of talent and uh, a, a talent that's going to bridge this gap, um, because yeah, as I say Europe itself is is facing a bit of a tough labour market situation as well. So, just a quick question about this: Is this the same as what, like in the US they refer to as people falling out of the 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 labour market, or or I guess when you are no longer getting unemployment? I don't think we track the same thing in the US that I've heard of anyway. I'm not sure on the definitional differences. I think it's probably something very similar. Uh, essentially, there's a there a have whole, to be, I would assume, but I've never heard yeah, of it. Yeah, I think each market seems to track theirs in slightly different definitions, depending on on the politicians at the top and how they want to track it and how they want to reflect. Um, essentially, you you have kind of the the overall employment rate, but it's the percentage of the market that want to be employed and can be employed versus the overall rate of people that aren't employed in the market, if that makes sense. So the long-term unemployed versus the people that are on, on medical disability, for example. For these sorts of numbers, medical disability would be carved out because um, they, they wouldn't have, by definition in this, the unmet need for employment necessarily. But I think it's just, I mean, the kind of overall picture is the talent market is really tight, right? Yeah, we anybody who's at the front of talent acquisition right now knows that really wherever you are in the world it's not easy to hire i think what's interesting is that we all predicted that this was going to be after certain skills you know whether that's data science skills or software engineering skills or you know some quite a hard you know what have always been relatively hard to find skills i don't think any of us predicted that it would be widespread across all of the labor market um you know, and, and you know, everything from HV, HGV drivers to care workers to whatever. You know, and that's where I think the transferable skills come in, which is, you know, just, I, I, I'm not sure any of us saw. And it's not like there's fewer people. So it's kind of like, well, where are they going? You know, it's, you know and, and what are they doing and what's the alternative? Um, and I think that, Randy, ties into, are they dropping out of the labour market and just doing something else? Well, that, oh, yeah, yeah, that's what you always hear. I've heard about in the US is just the, the I think we track the unemployment. Yeah. And then when somebody falls off of unemployment, and they, yeah, they talked about this at the the 2009 downturn that people, the, the long-term unemployed, um, but I've, yeah, I've not heard of these types of statistics, but they seem, they sound like they'd be a good thing to track if we don't, but I'm not an economist. So. I think they're just going to tell you it's a nightmare to hire, Randy. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> but actually that ties into the last news thing, doesn't it? Which is linked to the, the um, prize that David Card's got, Toby. Indeed, you, you're leading me into it beautifully with the uh, economics piece. Um, so David Card, 
as you say, has just won the Nobel Economics Prize, um, and he's a labor market expert. Essentially, his work was core to securing the UK's minimum wage. So he did some, some research uh, back in, I want to say, uh, late 90s, um, where he was looking at the em employment rate in New Jersey and New Jersey restaurants, and it, it saw that it actually increased after the minimum wage was raised. And that work's been widely cited, but it was really grabbed by Gordon Brown. Um, and then the economics advisor at the time was Ed Balls. And that, that was used to justify their plans for UK national minimum wage, which was introduced in 1999. But uh, yeah, David Card, uh, along with a couple of others, Joshua Andrews and Guido Imbens. Apologies to Joshua and Guido. I've probably murdered your names there. Um, and yeah, they've won the Nobel Prize for economics, which is very exciting. I love this one because I think, and we bang on all the time, and I know people hate the term human capital, but if we bang on all the time, if companies managed their financial capital in the same way that they manage their human capital, they would, you know, the majority of them would be bust fairly quickly, right? Because it's just not managed with the same rigor. And the reason I love this is it's a fundamental link between labor market, cost, economics, and success. I just, yeah, I, I just think it's a link that is missing in the language of many people teams around the globe. It's getting better, but it's missing in the language. And that, and, and I think it's because we're scared about talking about human capital because of some of the, the, the kind of connotations that that might have. Well, if in bringing the U.S. Uh, uh, politics into it, Reaganomics of trickle-down economics, this is like completely going against or the opposite direction of Reaganomics. Mm. So do you think... Randy, do you think that's changing? We're seeing a lot of kind of the, the pictures online at the moment around um, companies that are, are, are being very explicit about what their hourly rate wage is going to be. And I saw one for, I think McDonald's put one on there for $21 yeah, an hour, that. for example. Um, do, do you think that we're seeing a, a change in the US? And do you think this is kind of a time to maybe for companies to look at this sort of research and say, well, actually, what is the return on investment of it? You know, not just the pure cost of empty seats up time and, and getting bums on seat, but are we seeing a better better quality of candidate coming through? Are we seeing a lower attrition rate? Are we seeing an improving quality of output, et cetera? Do you think this is a good moment to run these sorts of experiments? Politically, I don't think it's changing, at, unfortunately, at all. We're so, so, so Everything's so divisive here at the moment. It doesn't matter if you say the sky is blue, there'll be people, people that say it's not, it's, it's green. <laughs> Um, it's uh, yeah, just crazy in that regard. From the company perspective, I think the companies are just pragmatic. And right now, if, if in certain locations, I, I, I imagine McDonald's is not $21 everywhere, but in whatever, wherever that picture was taken, I saw it yesterday too, um, was the first thing that came to mind. And I've heard of, yeah, I've heard of things internally of, of various areas where it's harder to fill, where we are doing in certain roles, uh, things like that. So yeah. it's... Yeah, I think that's it's just supply and demand. Yeah, really interesting. I think, um, Toby, I want to add another news article, which we um, we didn't talk about, and I've only skim-read this report, um, but it was launched, and it's come out by a business called Talent Alpha, um, uh, who are creating a kind of future of work platform, and they're calling it the Future of Work Report, and it's the A3 work revolution, and their, their three A's are anytime, anyplace, anywhere. And they're talking about work remotely, manage digitally and engage anywhere talent. And I think that ties in to this kind of supply demand, what's happening globally. Um, so, yeah, I've skim read it. It looks ace having having um, skim read it. But I think it's, it's probably worth a download for people as well. If it isn't, I'll say in the next podcast, don't bother reading that. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it great is great. <laughs> Absolutely. So I think that's that's all the news, isn't it, Toby? Well, there's one other very sneaky bit that uh, I just wanted to flag up, and it's unsurprising that uh, recruiters are profiting massively given the tight labour market at the moment. So both Page Group and Hayes and Robert Waters in the UK have all posted very strong um, quarterly updates. Uh, and uh, it's one of the directors, uh, finance director Paul Venables for, from Hayes, that said this is the hottest market for permanent workers I've seen here since 20, 2007, sorry. Uh, particularly technology, marketing and life sciences, which are well above pre-pandemic levels. So um, 
yeah, I think a lot of teams out there that, that potentially were underfunded, so internal recruitment teams underfunded potentially last year, struggled to, to rebound and beef up this year and having to go out to their, their supply chain and their vendors to, to supplement that, um, which means, yeah, there's a lot of work out there for agencies at the moment. I think there was a report a few months ago that was saying that there's more recruiter job postings than software engineer job postings. That's right. That's right. Yeah, it's as hard to hire recruiters as it is to yeah hire anything right now, you know. And it's just yeah, you know, so they're they're struggling to meet demand as much as any other clients are. It's yeah, you know, it's a really really hot market. But that kind of leads itself nicely, Randy, into everybody needs a sourcer, right? Well, <laughs> needs I think better talent intelligence. Okay. <laughs> talk talk but- to. Can you talk to me a little bit about um, about sourcing and grand mastering, and help me kind of get into your world? Yeah, what? So, how, how does it start? So the 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 grandmaster challenge is a, a, a an annual event that SourceCon uh, hosts, and it's a each year that the the challenge is different. They vary from year to year. Year, the, the, when I finally won, it was my fourth, fourth rodeo. I had been a, a three-time finalist, mm-hmm. but I finally finally won the prize after four attempts. Um, and the, the final that year was they, they gave us uh, 6,000 resumes, three anonymized job descriptions, and we had to figure out who is hired, who is interviewed, and who is sourced um, from those essentially stack ranking for each of those three job descriptions. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the tie-in, I'd say, to uh, uh, talent intelligence is how to break down the challenge, like what is the business problem that we're trying to solve, and then how to uh, uh, use the data to, 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 to meet that, or try to, to as I was saying, it, it's, I don't know if it, we solve the problem usually, but we're, we're helping continue the conversation or, or further the conversation from where it was. Um, and how some of judge, these are- Is it judged based on the number of, the number, you know, like, kind of like the percentage that you get right? So that year, yes. And the, I, yeah, we could do a podcast on what I did to, to break down the, the challenge. It was a, a it's, I didn't set out to do this, but I essentially, what I essentially did was reverse engineer it. I, I was able to figure out eventually what all three job descriptions really were. The first one I had tried, I put in a piece of the job description to Google, found some water company in San Bernardino or somewhere in, in an obscure part of California. Um, and went and like, I found it was a, a sysadmin and I could see the person I went to LinkedIn, put in that title, found somebody who literally just hired, but I couldn't find his name. And I was like, wait, what? I, this person literally just started. He was obviously hired. Yeah. Um, and then started breaking down the resume or the, the profile. And like, I tried the companies that didn't work, but when I tried titles and school, cause usually if I search any two or three data points on somebody, I can usually find the person. And then I was able to find the resume basically using some of the metadata or not metadata, some of the uh, secondary data from the resume. And from that, I could see, and I didn't fully go down this thought experiment during the challenge, but I could I could eventually tell that they were, uh, which uh, files had been edited. And had I been able to fully exhaust that, I would have reduced my 6,000 resumes down to 25. Oh, but wow. again, that... That that uh, uh, thought experiment I didn't figure out until after the, the challenge was over. But that was a, just the gist of reverse engineering. And I was able to do this for each profile. So like I definitively knew that I got the three right because I was able to figure it out. And for the runners up, I was able to find three of the or two or three of the resume uh, emails of the actual people. And I emailed them and I got two responses. And I was like brutally honest in the email. I'm this, doing this contest, blah, 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 blah. Um, I just want to know, did you interview for this role? And the two responses I got said yes. So I, like I got, I think five out of the six, like I know that I got right because I either, yeah, I could I could then very confidently say, because the one of the challenges was not knowing what I don't know. So, so that's that the, the abridged version. What were you competing against, Randy? Or who were you competing against? So there were nine other human contestants and then a mysterious 11th, contestant which was a bot cool and the bot came in a distant third two other humans tied for a second and then i and uh, came in first and the the all the other nine humans were this is the first time being in the the challenge and when when i won one of the one of the uh, uh leaders had asked me is how much time did i spend and i have no idea 
I said conservatively 40 hours, but if somebody said, no, you spent 80, I'd say, okay, I believe that. Um, <laughs> I kind of disappeared for the, for a week because you had a week to do it. Um, and it was, I know over Valentine's day and my then fiance was not pleased with me, but I was very, very occupied. Um, so yeah, I, I don't really know, but the others did not put, the others had said 10 or 15 hours. And so part of it, I think is just perseverance or tenacity is one of the things that set me apart. Which I think is, it's really interesting because I think it ties into something we, we spoke about with Aletha Dennis uh, way back when, which I think we might have been episode yeah. four, three, not too sure. Three or four, um, I think. Who had won uh, DEF CON. And I think she's won Capture the Flag and some other bits of DEF CON. Um, but I think there's a lot of similarities between what the SourceCon community are building from the sourcing side and the, the DEF CON, particularly this sort of challenge where you're doing the whole social engineering and reaching out to people and trying to find out information as well. I think well, that... <laughs> When I told the when I when I said that I did that the 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 game masters are, that had put this together were absolutely horrified because that was yeah this they'd given out this live data um, or it wasn't live data but I was able to figure out the real data and yeah that was not <laughs> that was that was it was I did not break any rules there were no rules against this so to <laughs> me it's all fair game but yeah they they did not think that that they were gonna, yeah you were going to go down that path but I think the other thing, and Alison, I know I'm jumping on your section, so I will leave you alone. But um, I think the other thing I'd say on this is, it's a great example of, I think, the skills that are very transferable from sourcing to TI, which is the problem solving and trying to understand the context of things. I think you have two different types of sourcer in my world nowadays. I think you have the sourcer that's a process administrator, and we'll go through the steps of sourcing and go onto LinkedIn, do the searches, send the emails, get the response rate, et cetera. And then you've got the sourcer that's a problem solver. And it, it just happens that they're working within sourcing. And I think the, the latter of the two transfers across to, uh, to talent intelligence really well. Because it's once again, it's a problem you're trying to solve. And it's just digging around that. And it's just finding data points to, to work through the problem. Absolutely. And the one thing I would add to, to again, what I think sets, set me apart, or, or the, the part that I, the, I think the big learning for a lot of people is, what I did, it's going to take AI a really long time to be able to think that laterally about the project, about a problem. Um, and I think I maximized what a human brain can do pretty easily, making these different types of disparate connections once you start to see the patterns. Um, and I think that's the big takeaway from beating the AI. So interesting. Sorry, Alan, go ahead. Sorry, I was going to say, so you're... you're... You're now a talent insights consultant, Randy. So I'm sure you're still doing elements of the sourcing stuff and you're still using elements of those skills. But since you went into that role, what new skills have you had to learn to kind of fill in the gaps to do the TI piece? So one of the things uh, that I'm is uh, not at all good at is the report, putting reports together, putting the, the visuals together. Like I was much more about the data and what is the, letting the data tell the story. And I learned earlier on in my career that that the the making something pretty or, or having visuals is as important, but it's just not as something that I'm as good at. But like one of the technical things that I've I've learned in the last six months or so is with Power BI using uh, just mm. some uh, GIS, the mapping information to help tell stories. We've done a, some fun projects with that. But six months ago, I'd never touched BI, Power BI, so it's just it's it's every day is a learning curve with it and. I'm getting better and better, but I'm, yeah, not a not a master at all at that yet. How do you think that therefore sourcing has changed in the last ten years? So it's has gone from uh, like the we're I think it's information overload. I think there's lots and lots and lots of shiny objects. Um, I have always said, and I will always say, the very first tool when I'm doing sourcing that I'm going to go to, 100% of the time is LinkedIn. There are a lot of other good tools out there, some of which I love, um, but it's still, they're, they're all based off of LinkedIn data, and I want the original source. I don't want uh, uh, data that's, that's a day old, let alone weeks or months from when it was last scraped. So I'm, uh, I've said very publicly, I, there, if I were doing sourcing and I didn't have a LinkedIn recruiter seat, I don't think I would take the job. I can I mean, do everything I can do without LinkedIn recruiter, but do you want to pay me to find the best people or do you want to find me pay me to, to not pay LinkedIn. Yeah, yeah, exactly. No, I get that. And then how's that then changed in, in 10 years? 
So it's trying to then, I think we've, we've migrated from, from that search to, to then figuring out how to engage and, and having contact information. And now it's, it's uh, using that contact information and trying to create that, uh, uh, start that conversation. But to be perfectly honest, that piece of sourcing, I've never really done. I've okay. done it, but it's not where I'm, I do, a, I haven't done it a lot. And it's not what I'm, where I, what I usually say in interviews, it's not where I make magic happen. Okay. So where do you make magic happen? In, in finding the, the, the data sources, in finding pools of talent that we hadn't realized, in now being more strategic about how we're, we're breaking down what the profile is and, and who we should be looking for. Can you talk through that? Talk me through an example, because that's really interesting, because that's kind of the move from, you know, what else could you do with the data? You know, are you aggregating? Are you rolling it up? How are you informing hiring managers? Can you talk me through that? So trying to figure out, and it's it's some of these, some so many roles now, I think, are very ambiguous about what they're actually doing and what type of person is going to have done that skill set. And like with all the different, I don't know, uh, uh, what were some of the man titles we just had? Operations manager. Yeah. Operations manager, you can see in probably almost every function to some extent. Yeah. And so what is an operations manager? And trying to figure out what the profile for, for the different functions and then how do you search for those? Um, that would be an example. Um, a simpler example, like with finance is very easy, audit and insurance. Like the companies I've worked for, often they've wanted out of the big four and then it's a very structured uh, uh, career path that they have. Um, but for something more ambiguous, it, it, it's tough. You, were, um, you, you talked earlier about um, retraining into Power BI and kind of adding that to your, your toolkit, um, which implies that you're not, um, yeah, it implies that the sourcing is much more about market insights in your world now um, and kind of taking that data. And it's less about these are the individuals and it's more about, you yeah, know, this is what the world looks like, right? Um, can you, can you talk me through some sort of some of the sort of market insights projects and works that you you've been doing where you, where you can either at Walmart or previously? Um, so for for the the I can't give the specifics for like the the uh, location intel, but there was we were looking at for uh, some of our sites that there had been some leaders that wanted to open some satellite offices um, in major metro areas and the just cost benefit analysis of doing that. And the best way of, of demonstrating that was with Power BI. And I had started playing with it in an earlier project. And I guess part of it was just shiny object syndrome where I was like excited about Power BI. So I, I applied that there, but it actually worked. It was helpful. So that, I think that's part of the just constant always learning is sometimes you might be using something, not necessarily the best tool, but because it's something new and you want to continue to improve on it, you try to apply it. Um, and it worked really well in this one, in this case. Do you think that? Um... And this is this is probably for you and Toby. Do you think that's where talent intelligence first starts to kind of make its way into the strategic room is around location analysis, whether that's a satellite office or whether it's about skill supply or or shared service centers and reduced cost? Do you think that's that's the kind of first easy in route where corporations can go, I get it, that's why it's important? Or or are there others? I think there's others. This was the first one that wasn't talent. Like this came through HR for us, okay. um, and our talent leader had said, "Sure, talk to talk to our team." But we're still launching. We're st we have not fully been uh, publicized in our in our company. So it's it's a word of mouth. It's a relationship like my relationships that I've built over six years, and we want to get to the point of not just having it be my relationships, but actually uh, uh, through so the company knows that we exist, and we'll see what happens. Then we'll probably be inundated, but. Yeah, at this point, it's largely relationship-driven internally. Now, I was going to ask you that next, because I think that's quite interesting, because from the, the outside looking in, um, there is an impression that Walmart, that this is my impression probably, Toby, I'm putting words in your mouth, that Walmart doesn't, Walmart doesn't have a kind of big, dedicated talent intelligence function, but that it's doing some great work. And, and, and are you seeing that? You, you know, how, how has TI grown in Walmart? And well, you know, how are you building the business case? The the formal TI, I'd say, so yeah, Toby and I, we were talking about this the other day that that uh, it's we keep running up against there are teams that are doing similar stuff, and then a how do you differentiate? How do you learn to play together and and share tools and toys, as I like to refer to them? Um, uh, but there's a lot of different teams that are doing similar things, and that's uh, so I, I, our TI team is small and mighty, 
mm-hmm. um, but I think we're, we've got a lot of other teams that are, whether it be talent management, whether it be compensation, whether it be talent architecture, that are all doing similar, like we, we are doing similar things, but I think we serve different clients and customers. Mm-hmm. So it's trying to aggregate some of that and bring it together. I wonder whether that happens in, in loads of uh, businesses of you know, kind of your size and, and Amazon size is that actually you know, they're kind of within a division. There's a great idea. There's a bright spark. They set it up. They lead it. Yeah, there are lots of small and mighty teams. Um, and actually it takes, you know, it, I, I don't know what it takes, but it takes something to then kind of build that into a big machine, which is one team that are all kind of united around particular business problems. I think for me, it depends on the the organization and the culture. So I think uh, if you're a centralized organization, you have centralized people analytics, you have centralized TA, you have centralized marketing, et cetera, then it's it's a lot easier. I'm not saying it's easy, but it's easier to build that single source of truth and that single source of of TI and and build out a, a team that you can then scale. I think if you're in a culture that's heavily decentralized um, and there's lots of silos, uh, that can be much harder because you can build capability that may go pan organization, but you're you're building the the centralized function is always going to be culturally at odds with the rest of the group. Um, And to Randy's point earlier, I I think, you know, we're we're in a similar organization where there's lots of teams doing similar work just because of the size and the scale and uh, having that communication of pan team to to see, okay, well, how, how do we, make sure we're aligned so we're not duplicating and we're not all reinventing the wheel etc um it, it's really hard there's, there's no there's no really easy solution it's, it's a hard thing to try and align okay, i would so say is it confusing for managers and leaders as well because they don't actually <laughs> always know where to go to find out <laughs> yeah. answers at walmart absolutely and i would say that that we've had quite a few reorgs and each one i think we get we're getting closer and closer to the the truth, I, I, I think we have amazing leadership that's doing a great job at that, but I think we also have a long way to go. It, it's, yeah, step by step, but we're going in the right direction. I think that also ties in, though, to the conversation we had yesterday on the um, Talent Intel Collective Monthly Meetup, Randy, where we're saying it, it's almost not not around what function you're in. It, it's the, the output of your team, which will just decide what the overall should be. So I've spoken before about the fact Maybe we need to align with HR analytics, people analytics, workforce strategy, et cetera, and have a, a workforce analytics and strategy function that's broader. And we, we sit there with an analytics and Intel hat on, but then that doesn't necessarily tie back for the sourcing piece. Um, we've discussed previously about having a centralized central intelligence function with marketing intelligence and us and business intelligence, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I, I think it's each organization, you almost need to just sit there and go, okay, well, who's the customer base? How is this going to be used? And what do we need to align? Yeah, and and it was some of the pre- the earlier podcasts that had uh, it was I don't maybe it was either you or Nick had said that like you start getting questions from other parts other leaders and I think as the the just all of this has progressed just various intelligence of all sorts that each leader is probably going to have their own pocket of where they go their their resource to go and try and get that kind of data. And so I wonder if we're really going to see that from the vi- business and and to my, the point I made yesterday I think. Are, what the niche we're, we're carving out uh, at Walmart is to look at it through specifically the talent lens, the talent acquisition lens, um, with what we're giving to our to our clients and our customers. I still think that there's there's kind of this piece that um, the power of this is when organisations can scenario model really effectively, right, and and then they can use their internal HR analytics and they can use external data wherever that has come from to kind of model around their workforce planning um and 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 you almost then end up with this strategic talent intelligence function or whatever it doesn't have to be called talent intelligence but a strategic intelligence function that's about driving the workforce and and managing human capital in a better way and then you end up with tactical talent intelligence which is okay and and how do we action what we're seeing how do we action what we're seeing now in order to change your organization and that's where I think it ties together. So Toby, I know you and I talk about this and we, you know, all the time we end up going around in circles and then you change my mind. Um, but that's that's kind of where, where I land at the moment. And I think you've got to have the tactical, right? Because you can't you, you can't not have people coming into the organisation. Um, and we've talked about how hot the market is and how difficult it is. And therefore, you've got to be a step ahead. 
But you've also got to be able to look through a strategic lens and say, and what does the future hold? One of the things I wonder... Sorry, Randy, you go. One of the things I wonder in something that Meta McKinney said yesterday on the, on the call, Toby, was uh, just how much of it is just because nobody else is looking at it and so, like somebody that has that curious mind digs in on something. That's a good what question. Yeah, absolutely. What was she talking I don't remember what the example was she had, was talking about yesterday, but yeah, that's something that I think happens a lot, that somebody gets curious and... I completely agree, and I, and I think the particularly the the, the problem-solving source we discussed earlier. I think that those are the sorts of individuals that do get curious with this sort of stuff, and they start saying, "Well, why is this happening? How is that happening? What does that mean?" Um, and I think you know, TA we have a a wealth of data available to us, um, but I don't think we're great as a function at telling the rest of the business it's there. And it comes to a point you actually mentioned earlier around. Uh, how you're standing up at Walmart and the fact that you haven't gone out and kind of sold yourselves to the business yet. Uh, I think as soon as you do, I think that the demand will snowball. Uh, and I, I'm yet to go to a business leader that does, once you say, look, this is what we can offer, this is the capabilities, this is the data. I'm yet to meet a business leader that doesn't want this stuff. Uh, it, it's just a, to, to a person they don't, don't know exists. It's, it's all new to them. So I think um, once you start going beyond TA at Walmart, I think you'll, you'll see the demand go through the roof. How do you describe that, Toby? Describe what, Alison? So when you're saying this is what we can offer, what are you saying? Uh, I say that the team offers, we look at the feasibility and the risk exposure of what we're planning from a labour market perspective. It's a short elevator sentence. Obviously, we break into whether that's competitor analysis, location studies, et cetera, et cetera. But essentially, for me, it it comes down to feasibility and risk is the two things that we're really offering. What do you mean by risk? So uh, the risk we're exposed to in the sense of if we're looking to expand in a given location and we're going to put all our eggs in that basket and say, yeah, we're going to, whether it's an expansion, whether it's a a land that expand, whether it's buying a company and wanting to take it from 60 people to 6,000 people, et cetera. Um, quite often, those sorts of decisions have been made historically without external labor market feasibility. So if you're overlaying that with, well, actually, the risk we're exposed to here is we're not going to hit our annual goals. We're not going to hit the growth forecast. We're not going to get the return on investment from this acquisition. Equally, the competitor in location Y could be growing massively and actually hoovering up our talent. So the, the risk is actually we're going to put all our money into this, this venture and we're, we're never going to grow it in the way we are because competitors are going to hoover up our talent or... or you know, in the past, I've been in situations where uh, the risk has been Amazon's coming to town uh, and we've been in sites where it's gone, yeah, do you know what? This is a great site. It's been a great site for three years since we've launched it, but Amazon's coming to town. But how is that going to change? What's the risk we're going to expose ourselves to here now? Um, what, what sort of percentage of our workforce do we expect to get hit by the Amazon coming coming in and, and expanding their operations, et cetera? Does and that that's really interesting because that's where... Um, it's all about using the language that the business leaders understand, right? They, you know, they understand feasibility, they understand risk, they understand competitor advantage. They don't necessarily understand talent, and that's not that they don't want to. They just think it sits somewhere else, right? It's it's more operational, whereas risk feels more strategic to them. And and so whilst you're right, I think the skills need to be curiosity led for the, for a talent intelligence team. You've got to have leaders in functions who can speak that commercial language and that's why you know randy you were saying earlier it it, it, it's me and my black book on the relationships that i'm building because you're the one that's putting it into a language that they can understand well storytelling yeah exactly but but storytelling in a language that makes sense right which is what's the stuff that matters to me what's the stuff that's on my radar right now are we going to hit our annual goals (laughs) <laughs> um, well, breaking breaking down that problem statement, which is something else that is always seems to be a challenge. We get asked for some like ambiguous X, but that's not actually what they want. They want they have a much deeper uh, uh, business challenge that they're trying to solve, but that's not how they're thinking about it when they first ask. So it's trying to flush that out from the the stakeholder. So on that basis, what advice, Randy, would you give to an organization that's out there now? who've got maybe a great sourcing team and who are um, looking at how can they build an insights team, a talent insights team or a market insights team off that. Where where do they start? What does that conversation 
To, sure. to Toby's po point, I think it's less about a sourcing team and it's more about having that. Well, I don't know if Toby's right, but if it's if I certainly like what he said with the, mm -hmm. this this curiosity type of sourcer. Um, uh, are there other kinds? I don't know, but that's certainly one um, that I would try and focus on to, to be able to think about solving problems creatively, a creative problem solver. So, but but are they are they then looking at a problem that's come in and going to the, the the line manager and saying I think we could do this differently, or are they being quiet, sitting at the problems coming in, thinking about them collectively, and then going to the leadership and saying these are all of the things that we can do differently? So is it big bang or little by little? Uh, for me, it's the former. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm always like. I say to my boss, I've got a thousand ideas a day. She <laughs> hears about probably 900 of them. 99.9% .9 we don't touch, but those really good ones, and each one at the time is really good, but the really, really good ones are the ones we end up that stick, either stick with me and I just keep going and the idea evolves. And then eventually, to me, I always say, I'll have a piece of a great idea, but it's never the full idea. It's never the, the full end solution. I need that uh, uh, just feedback from other other ideas that, that either all build off what they say or vice versa. And I don't care whose idea it is that we ultimately go with, but it's getting that game-changing idea. So where do you go when you've got that piece of an idea? Is it just verbalizing it and then kind of noodling it around a team that brings it to the fore? And, and therefore, is this about the, having the culture and the environment to feel that you can do that? Um, or is it just that you just keep going and you just kind of bang down the door because you, you think you've got a great piece of an idea and we're just going with it anyway? Probably earlier in my career, it was banging down the door. I've tried to be learn, I guess, more tact, having a little bit of tact, sometimes anyway. I don't know. Yeah, it'd be interesting to ask my my leaders if, if they think I've got tact. I don't know. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's it's. I think the good idea is they they stick with you or and or they they circle back. We've uh, there was one that I, that I've been working on for years and always every time I get tripped up by something in our systems and I've made some big progress in the last week and it, it's something so big and obvious. I don't even want to say it because it's embarrassing that we haven't been able to do it, but uh, yeah, it's just constantly, there's some things that you just come back to. Do you, um, Oh, sorry, Toby, you stuck your hand up. Go ahead. I, I was just going to say, I, I really like the, the, the journey of the, um, going through from kind of the source of sourcing intel and now trying to stand up the, the TI. And it's, it's possibly a question that's, that's a long time in the call. But um, if you had to give kind of your, uh, your self-advice, if you look back to, to yourself five years ago and you were kind of looking towards the sort of world and trying to stand up TI for the first time, what would be the advice you'd give yourself to, to kind of fast track where you are and where you want to get to? Boy, that's a tough question. Mm -hmm. Sorry, I probably should have asked it earlier when you hadn't been on <laughs> slammed for 45 minutes on questions. Um, it's just always being curious is, is I don't know if I could have done any, I don't know what I could have done differently. Um, I wish I was better at just presenting the ideas. Um, maybe if I weren't as aggressive about like going forward with some ideas, taking some of that latter approach that, that uh, Alison just mentioned, not always going with every single one. I've, I guess that's what I've kind of changed over time, um, trying to filter what goes up to the next level. Um, but yeah, that would be, I'd say, one of my own self, my self-learning. Um, Randy, let me throw that back to Toby. Toby, what would your advice be? Oh. I do these so I don't have to answer the questions. I would say um, be bolder and be more, ironically opposite of, of Randy's piece earlier, I'd be more aggressive. I, I think I, I'm, I, I consistently have held back and, and not pushed this as hard or as fast as I think it could have gone. Um, I'd say generally we try and be conservative and hire more more junior teams because we don't want to have a massive cost uh, associated with the function and massive magnifying glass looking at what we're doing, et cetera, immediately. Um, I, all those teams have always done amazing work, but I think it's it's making it tougher for them because they don't have lots of experienced people in there to help stand them up. So I'd say uh, be bolder, hire more experienced people earlier, um, be more aggressive with the function. Um, and and yeah, back back the function. Uh, and but I've only I think I'm only saying that because I've had 
you know, the, for whatever, 10 years doing this stuff and I can see how well it's landing with the business. And uh, yeah, were, were the businesses ready for it 10 years ago? Probably not. Um, so I, I, I think, in, yeah, that's what I'd probably say if I was standing up now. What I would add to that is having diverse skill sets and backgrounds is I think 100%. so important. And maybe, maybe that's also just my need for the collaboration that I, I value that so much, but I think that's also really just, it's, it gets to a better end result. Yeah, yeah. Totally agree. so true. So true. So the really sourcing, the the market intelligence, the the library science, like a Megan, uh, yeah. uh, that just as as diverse as we can get, um, to bring those different uh, 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 ideas and thoughts to the forefront, because it's no one person's going to have all the answers. No, but the collective have all got a piece of the puzzle, and yeah. and, you know, and that's what builds the picture. Love it. Exactly. I think, um, guys, given we had such a short news section, Toby, um, I think it's prob- and we've been grilling Randy for what feels like I love it. hours now. Um, I think it's probably time to bring the thing to a natural stop or an unnatural stop, depending on how you determine me butting in and telling everyone we're going to stop. Um, I think we need to release Randy back into the real world. It's been great having you on the show, Randy. How was the experience for you? It was awesome. I was I, I was uh, pinging Toby a little bit beforehand that I was having, feeling a little bit of anxious about it just because I, like, I didn't know what I was going to talk about. But mm-hmm. once I get into these things, it's always fun, and this was awesome. Allison, you asked some brilliant questions. <gasps> um, Yay! <laughs> <laughs> Yay! Everybody. You know, I've got a yay and everything. We missed the yay at the beginning. I forgot to press the button at the beginning. But uh, look, (laughs) Randy, thanks so much for coming on. uh, You've been brilliant. You've been absolutely fantastic. And um, and to everyone listening, as ever, thanks for all the support that you give to us. Keep telling your friends about us. And to the point earlier, somebody uh, somebody said around the collective, being best at answering questions. Hopefully the Talent Intelligence Collective podcast is great at answering the questions of some of our listeners. So stay intelligent, folks. Thanks a lot. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. Before you go, I wanted for the last time to remind you about our generous sponsor, Stratagens. It's that posh chap again, telling you about their fabulous product. Stratagens gives HR leaders the data they need to transform businesses with the speed and ease required in today's world. If you're ready to make decisions that aren't lengthy, costly, one-dimensional, or based on gut feeling, visit stratagens.com. That's S-T-R-A-T-I-G-E-N-S dot com to register for a Wednesday demo drop-in and find out more.